morning. Welcome to the Old School uh, podcast about the American education system, be it as it is. Uh, we attempt to try to identify issues, try to solve the said issues insofar as we can solve them. Uh, and in this endeavor, I present to you my cohort. Good morning, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Herr Miller, good to hear and see you. I'm your cohort of one. Um, <laughs> so we are a cadre it, of two. I like if, that. If it's the right one, you only need one. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so, so what's we, we what's meet under on? well, we meet under strenuous circumstances. Oh no, you're not going to talk medical stuff, are you? Well, we could. I mean, so I mean, <laughs> your issue seems to be a little bit more esoteric. Uh, apparently, you can't fluidly go from key B to key C on the ivories without something sticking. Well, the, the B is sticking, and it doesn't matter if I go from a B to a C or B to anything. Um, when the, you hit the B near middle C, it it is sticking. Um, not just for a fraction of a second for enough to take a deep breath uh, to gather your forces to yell. And that's do you think, what do happens. You, do you think the bee is sticking because it's covered in honey? No. <laughs> stupid. This is stupid. You're, you're, you're making light of this. I'm, I'm trying to train my improvisational skills and, and to avoid a bee natural um, I guess I could play in, in the flat keys all day and never. But once you hit that note, um, the screen go back. Well, and the screen comes within about two seconds after hitting it because nothing happens. And then I get mad and hit it harder, and there's still no sound. And so I, I'm going to have to call in a piano tuner. And um, but it, it bothers me because the piano tuners come at a regular interval, and we're having to call the, the gentleman in sooner than uh, the appointed date because I, I can't handle this. So two things occur to me before we get to my much more serious issue. Oh, okay. But yeah. uh, two, things, <laughs> two things occur to me. First of all, as a trained pianist, a classically jazz trained pianist, uh, wasn't it ever explained to you at some point that you don't pound on the keys? And it, I mean, it's like basically what you tried to do initially was kick the car in hopes that it would start working. Um, they're supposed to um, hold up. In fact, some piano tuners are bangers and they actually do that. They tune it uh, low and then they bang it up. Uh, uh, something like that idea. But no, they should be able to handle quite a bit of force. Um, and I mean, my my technique is, is a rather light touch, you know. But but I'm, I you still run into that. I don't I don't think the piano can contain me, you know. I'm I'm I've got the piano. That's, that's the problem here, here Miller. But but that's don't you still, find it strange though that a, a, an instrument known for such delicacy, such yeah. gentleness of sound, such a kind of a a nuance, almost intimate kind of uh, conveyance of feelings and emotions that one way of fixing it is by hitting it. Well, it, it feels really appropriate because it is a percussion instrument. Um, that's all that's technically happening. You create beauty by, you know, slamming a hammer on, on three strings, essentially. And so all those years where you have mocked my love for and appreciation for drummers, <laughs> it's a bit of a self-loathing thing that you're going through. 
No, I'm a percussion. I'm a percussionist in a way as well. So <laughs> the point is so, well taken. Well, the other thing I was thinking about is that to what degree, because it would seem like the more someone plays the piano, the more someone has the capacity to tinker with it. Oh, but that though you're saying that those are two completely separate fields of endeavor. Yeah, I, I could open up the piano and, and make it worse. I'd probably break the damn thing off. Uh, <laughs> but no, I'm, I don't trust myself mechanically. You know that. I mean, can you m- picture me you know, fixing anything? No. An exercise. Really today. But I know you're having more serious issues. And if you want to, you can say what you want about that or just say that you're well, it's interesting. Both of us seem to be having problems with the inner workings of our most beloved. Well, no, I, I, uh, on Wednesday night, I ended up in the hospital, uh, for, I think maybe the fifth time with the dreaded kidney stones. And right now, um, it has entered into a phase where it's not painful, but it needs to move. And so right now I'm trying to make it move and try to be done with this. And I'm hoping that by the end of the day today, all will be right once again in the world with me. And then I'll be able to carry, continue on my merry way until it happens again. So it's really strange and, because you sound just as grumpy now in this duress as you do every day. It's <laughs> um, really no, no different, but that's a, that's a serious thing. Um, you're not going to pass that during our podcast and, and create podcast history, are you? That'd be a very strange thing to do in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> because in order to do that, you have to be urinating. And so I don't, okay. I don't imagine. Enough, you enough. Doing. <laughs> you know, let's get, take things a little too far. Here, <laughs> Everybody was thinking it only you said it. Oh my. No. <laughs> Listen, if we can't laugh about it. Yeah. No. Well, maybe the laughter will get things going. I don't know. You're supposed to drink. <laughs> Uh, Irish whiskey or something. Doesn't that help? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, one of the, and, and before anyone thinks that I am some sort of vagrant degenerate, uh, it is it's a fairly well-known fact that beer can serve as a great um, uh, encouragement to the passage of kidney stones because it has the effect of both moving things along, but also relaxing things. And so, but unfortunately, all I have in the house is wine, which you can't really, I mean, you can polish off some beer. You can't really polish off wine. I mean, you have to be a real, you have to be a real degenerate. <laughs> what, are talking, what are you talking about? People drink wine and all the time. They've been yeah, but not like you drink beer. Because with beer, what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you're trying to get the system moving. People don't typically drink enough wine to get the system moving. And so the only oh. other thing I have, of course, is whiskey. Yeah. Uh, and you with your lack of medical knowledge suggested to me that it would be just fine to take a hydrocodone and a shot of whiskey. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think you were trying to kill me. No, I can't make it any worse. It'll kill or cure. You know? <laughs> so anyway, so that's where, that's where we are at present. Uh, I'm not, I'm not feeling tip top. I'm kind of worn down, but um, hopefully my faculties are enough for the purposes of this podcast. I guess it depends upon what the topic is. Oh, well, you can you can hang with me on your worst day here, my Lord. I don't <laughs> have a problem. Uh, I'm going to ask you a, a question. I want you to uh, confine your answer to 
three minutes, if that's possible. Okay. Um, okay. So the, the question here, Miller, is why should we teach history in high school? Is this a trick question? No, no, it's an actual question. Why should we teach history in high school? And as have, opposed to where? And it just as opposed to not teaching it in high school, why should we teach it? Why should it be in the curriculum period? Uh, okay. You have three minutes or less. Less would be better. Oh, <laughs> damn dog is distracting me. So tell, oh. tell her to be quiet. So, okay, <laughs> but, um, well, I think there's a couple couple areas that you could go in. One has to do with the fact that we become better people. We become more aware of people when we become aware of where we originated. And so, hello? I'm listening to Herr Miller. Okay, okay. The uh, the uh, little box grayed out there for a second. Oh. I thought you had already you had already dropped off to sleep. No, not <laughs> yet. I'm getting there. into my explanation. Yeah, you're winding up. No, I was... You mentioned my dog was barking, so I muted myself. <laughs> Apparently, that, that took you. Uh, <laughs> so you're saying, but it so makes no, I'm saying that you know, if you know, the, the notion of how we become better as people become, you know, it's a it's part of a process by which we try to and we endeavor to try to know more about ourselves. And the way we know more about ourselves is to know how we got to where we are. And so history kind of does that. History kind of shows the path that we took. It shows the error of our ways. It shows the the repeat error of our ways, and then the repeat error of our ways. Uh, but the, the idea is, is that by knowing more about history, we become more aware of what we do, of how we handle things, how we handle crisis, uh, for example. How do we handle, you know, national emergencies? How do we handle the good times? Part of that can be explained in history. And so, one, I think it has a lot to do with just simply knowing ourselves better. And I think two, um, the purpose of learning history, uh, especially at the high school age, you know, in high school, there's, the, you know, high school adolescence is a period known for a search for identity, a search for a purpose, a, a kind of a direction in life. And I think the other thing is that it also makes us more interesting people. It, it provides the, it provides the, the material uh, over which we debate, that we converse, that we discuss. And so it has, it can both enrich our understanding of ourselves, but it can also enrich our understanding of everybody around us. Okay. Um, that was that? Your answer. Um, I, I thought it was great. I think all your answers are great, Herr Miller. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, I'd like you to ask me the same question. And mind you, I'm reading, uh, but I'm going to do it in a natural way. And uh, I get about two minutes to answer the same question. So would you please frame or phrase the question that I'll start? Uh, Herr Dr. Bourgeois, why should we teach history in high school? Well, I don't usually share my own beliefs um, or opinions, but I'll give you some information anyway on this topic. Okay. okay. Uh, number one, understanding the past. History helps students understand the past and how events have shaped the world we live in today. By studying historical events, students can learn about different cultures, traditions, and customs that have shaped society. Two, critical thinking. Studying history requires critical thinking skills. Students are encouraged to analyze and interpret primary sources, and they must evaluate the relevance and credibility of different sources. Three, connections with present 
History provides connections between past events and current issues. By examining historical trends, students gain a better understanding of present-day situations. That's just or, a repeat of number one, but go ahead. I didn't ask to be interrupted. Uh, <laughs> uh, four, uh, civic engagement. Studying history is essential to civic engagement. Students who understand past events and their impact on society are better equipped to make informed decisions about current and future issues. Five, cultural awareness. Studying history exposes students to diverse cultural perspectives. This exposure helps students appreciate different cultures and traditions, fostering cultural awareness and sensitivity. Uh, overall, teaching history in high school provides students with a broader perspective on the world and prepares them to be active and informed citizens. Done. So what, what did you think of my answer? Well, besides the fact that you repeated yourself like three times, I think... Um... It's not a bad answer. I mean, it basically is what I said, the idea of of how we grow by knowing more about ourselves, knowing more about others, uh, the ability to debate, to converse, to argue uh, in, in kind of uh, uh, it, you know, it, it assumes a certain amount of critical thinking to be able to do that. So given that this guy, whoever this person was, guy, gal, whatever, uh, they, they actually had time to think about that. And I didn't. I think I was pretty much on the mark. I think this person stole my answer. Well, this this person took three seconds to produce that answer. Is it AI? Uh, it is. And I just <laughs> typed the question in before you responded uh, on chat GBT. Um, and they gave a, a little list. And that's exactly word for word what it was. Um, and, and so there are some implications to your subject and to any subject because don't you think students will type in props, for example? I mean, what are, what are the implications of something that polished in three seconds? From a student? Well, from in, in general, first of all, but also, I mean, we're talking education. But this is something that you're about to not have to deal with, but your colleagues will. Well, I think, one. I, well, one, I think you can pick up the problems right away. I mean... I don't know what made AI I had to say it must be five points, but clearly the, the, it was being redundant at a couple of occasions. Um, and so, you know, to whatever degree you could say that's kind of a warning flag and that's something that teachers can look for, although it's not that it's not like kids can't be redundant. So, um, but no, it's, it's going to be a serious issue. And I think one of the things that could be a consequence of that is doing something that I always do, which is the essays are written in class. Mm -hmm. And so without the benefit of a, a, a pre-understood or non, a known prompt, they may know a subject or they may know in general, but no specific prompt, no specific idea. And so I think, you know, that's going to have to be part of the response is you're going to have to be then take up class time. And it's a hassle, I'll grant you. But, you know, I think human history, if you studied history, you would know that most people endeavor to seek the quickest way from point A to point B. And I right. think anything that provides that, they're going to jump on it, whether, they, whether it's questionably or blatantly immoral, um, they're, they're still going to do it. So the idea of technology, that technology giveth and technology taketh away, um, it's, well, it's, it's, it's present here. Um, 
potentially, you know, in, in the good old days, meaning five or six weeks ago, um, you could take a student's essay, paste it into Google and find out exactly where it came from. You could run mm-hmm. it through, you know, one of those programs universities have, um, I can't remember the name and, and, and find exactly what their sources are and where they stole their, their, but this is brand new, meaning that this text is not, is not going to be traceable. And it, it could give them, I mean, you could ask them instead of doing five points, you could say, tell me in, in 800 words uh, about, you know, the, the, the history of the Druids, something like that. And, and, and you have it and you'll get exactly 800 words on the Druids. I think what's interesting is that I think there is potentially a safety net because as you say, what technology giveth, technology taketh away. There's nothing to say that you could not use AI to identify an AI produced essay. And so I imagine that one of the, one of the things that might be uh, initiated is some sort of effort to try to use AI to identify where students have used AI. Um, so, so, yeah, so I mean, part of it, part, you know, part of me understands why students do what they do, even if they cheat. I mean, I know on some, I understand on some level why they do it, especially when it's so prevalent. Um, I mean, I mean, if you can figure out that thing, Lord knows the most, you know, the most uh, unaware uh, freshman college student could figure it out. So, but, um, um, so yeah, we're just going to have to use AI to combat AI. But I think in the short term, the thing to do is to be able to figure out, um, how to move the essays back into the classroom um, so that there's no potential for this kind of chicanery. Chicanery is exactly what it, what it is. Um, <laughs> Skullduggery. But it would be these little battles between programmers behind the scenes, because once you solve a problem, somebody else is a little bit smarter. And, and so it's going to be an issue, but the, but looking on the positive side, um, what's the one task that most teachers of you know English history uh, hate the most about their job? Right, grading papers. Okay, so don't you think that we're pretty close, and maybe we're already there, where you could paste in a, a paper and say, "Grade this grammatically." That's already doable, uh, and and give it feedback, uh, and also give it a grade. Oh, I definitely think that teachers are just as likely to succumb to this temptation as students are. <laughs> so it's so the machines are writing them, and then the machines are grading them. That's really yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, but I think it goes back to the notion that you know it's a, it's a condition that's not in, uh, exclusive to teenagers, but rather right. it's a thing that we all do, and that is we try to find the quickest way to get something done. And we talked about this on many of occasions on many of our scintillating podcast episodes that, um, that there is value in the work, not just the idea of value in a sense of you become a better person for having worked hard, but I think you become a better professional. I think you become a better, um, a better learned professional by your ability to grade by hand that you're able to write by hand. Um, and so, um, if, if it forces us back into this kind of older way of doing things, which is not necessarily a bad thing, 
then I wonder if this is not going to be ultimately for the good. I don't know. I'm, I'm worried. I mean, you could say, write a, you know, a, an essay at, at the, at a 6.1 Lexile level, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means it's like at a sixth grade level, you know, or an, an AP us history level, uh, or they could respond to an AP prompt uh, specifically. And I'm sure that's happening, but because what, students do i mean they do it at all levels is they they call it reworking where they'll get their text from chat gbt mm-hmm. and they'll rework it you know they'll they'll frame it they'll craft it but the idea of starting from scratch uh, the only time you could make sure that happens is is it give them a sheet of paper uh, in your classroom like you're saying I think we've already seen a model of how this will progress and you are very familiar with it. And that is the idea of online translators. <laughs> I mean, ta- about that. yeah, yes. Ta- talk about a little bit about what that looked like in the beginning and perhaps what you know it to be now, if you, if you do know anything about it now. Well, they've gotten a lot better, but you know, I I was at a time teaching an online German course, and most of it was machine graded, objective, and that's that's fine. Um, but then they had the students had to put things in the box, meaning they had to write, and essentially all of it that I was reading was well above first or second year German level. I mean, it was right. a native speaker thing, so I I could tell that they just put it in a translator and and put in the box. And so what do you do? You grade it or you, you call them on it. Uh-huh. Um, but it was really odd because they also had to do uh, speech, meaning they had to record themselves. And so when you looked at their text, you know, they were native speaker quality and incredibly <laughs> lucid. And then you would listen to them and they, they can't say, ich bin, <laughs> you know, that's, that's very, whatever it is, they'll mispronounce it and they can't get through (laughs) anything. And I shouldn't say ich bin, but I should say ich bin. Um, But you get get it, you know, it's clearly there's something, there's some chicanery happening. So So how have language teachers kind of adapted to this? How have they been able to kind of ferret out I mean, is it is it is it by going back to the conversation? Because that's something at our school the language teachers do. They go to the conversation. It's it's a bit scripted, but then they go back to the conversations and say, you know, what exactly do you know? I want you to show me. Uh, is that the key to for the language teachers? And can anything be gained from looking at that and applying it to this new threat? I don't think it's been completely solved. I mean, you could do kind of a real-time quiz where you have to speak immediately to the to the prompt. I mean, I have a tool that collects audio responses that it can make them respond immediately. You know, right. So, so there there are some some ways around it, but but ultimately, when you're dealing with text, you're open to a lot of things. But this is this is. You know, I mean, I've heard people saying this type of development. It's just at the beginning, and it's already printing press type impact. You know, it's it's exploding uh, so much, and 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 maybe we we'll, we can think about the implications, not just from a student writing essay, but but talk about teaching. I mean, you, you know, how many times do you have to do research before you teach a lesson? 
Yeah, right. maybe, I mean, you're an expert in, in your field, but you know, many teachers are, you know, particularly younger teachers are, are ahead of their students, but they, they want to put together a, a presentation and a, a lesson. You know, they're, they're going to use this. Um, there's no way they won't. Um, and, and then they create their slides and make their lecture. So the, the, we have both sides here. I think so. Uh, but, but I think, you know, there's a difference here. So there's two ways you can look at AI. And it's kind of interesting that this is the topic for today because our last philosophy group at school dealt with this topic to a degree. And that is, uh, you know, there's a difference between soft AI and hard AI. And soft AI is the is the version of the AI that may help you figure out how to say, I love you in Portuguese or something like that. Or AI, soft AI may be something like, uh, uh, pulling up real-time health stats or what have you for a doctor trying to figure out what's wrong with the patient. And then you have the heart AI, which is these are the, these are the entities that are trying to be, you know, trying to kind of mimic or even take the place of human beings. The idea of being able to think, to be able to develop thinking, to be able to grow in thinking and so there's two different versions of what's what's out there. And one of my students, you know, suggested that, you know, one of the saving graces behind the potential danger of AI, and you can, that's not just scholastically, but societally as well, is that um, AI, you know, to what degree can AI go beyond its programming? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if the people making AI are not perfect, how can AI become perfect? I would suggest to you there's probably even bigger danger because mm-hmm. the people designing AI are not perfect, then the imperfection will be heightened with AI. And then you got to ask yourself, what does that create? So um, you know, I, I think I worry like on both sides of it. And I think that this unfortunately is not just an education concern. This is a concern that goes way beyond education and goes towards our understanding of what's real, of what's not real, uh, the way we react to it, you know, Um, and we see it already in our kind of our political world. Um, And I think it's, I I think it is a danger in the classroom. Yes. Uh, But it's not nearly the danger it could present in other areas. Oh yeah, I mean writing speeches. By the way, Chat GBT just defined AI soft and hard, and um, essentially um, they they com- compared soft to things like Siri, Alexa, yeah, bots. But right. but they were saying, and and I think that the more dangerous would be the hard AI, which yes. uh, talks about machine learning. And, and but they say this. Um, Hard AI does not yet exist, and it's considered the ultimate goal of AI research. Um, you want to trust AI? Yeah, maybe they're saying that because <laughs> it's already happened, and they you're trying to uh, throw us off. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is 2001. You know, the the film, but potentially, how do we know? They're not just messing with us, and they they actually know a whole lot more than they're letting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do wonder what the motivation is for the people who are doing this. Are they doing this as far as the development and the creation of these things? Are they doing it to prove that they can do it? Because it's not like there hasn't been plenty of sci-fi films that talk about how this is potentially a problem. But um, I don't know. I, I, 
I, I, this, I swear it's stuff like this that makes a compound in Crete look awfully good or just like a compound in Sicily or something like that, or Idaho. I don't know, but I mean, it's, you're right. This is, this is the thing that makes me worry what I, what I brought a child into. And it also makes me worry how I'm going to go out, you know, Finally, and, uh, you're right. I mean, that, that's where I was going with this because if you, I mean, first of all, where did they get all the information to produce something so sophisticated? You know, it's a culmination of all kinds of data sweeping, but, yeah. it, but it includes, you know, social media, all these, you know, we're releasing all these things. And when we paste into, I mean, cause we're chatting with them like I am right now, I've asked two questions that they're, they're using that. So they've already gotten them. better. You know, they're, I mean, I could make them smarter, right? <laughs> arguing with them. But, but yeah, I think there's good, there's a line in the sand. And, and that's why I think that this innovation could potentially be driving us both to Crete. But this is the Frankenstein uh, phenomenon, is it not? I mean, wasn't the idea behind Frankenstein was to create some sort of kind of perfect monster, a perfect kind of a, a creation from scratch by, not from scratch, but, you know, uh, animated by man, not by God. You know, there was a there's a, so there's a very excellent um, podcast by an AI scientist named Lex Friedman. I don't know if you've ever come across his fine work, but he had Rabbi David Wolpe on, who is the preeminent, certainly the more well known uh, rabbis in the United States. And Rabbi Wolpe suggested that it's not just the danger as far as the product goes. The other issue is, what does that do to the human being who can create this? We, you know, we were, you know, you could say, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, people, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. James Madison suggested that nobody in power should be trusted. What if the people in power have the capacity to create something that ultimately cannot be controlled? Now, some people might suggest, well, there's going to, always going to be the off switch. Okay. Where's the, where's the off switch? Is it on the robot that doesn't want you to touch the off switch? Is that where the off switch is? No, it's out, it's out of the box already. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. But, so, but, it, but it, you're carrying it around with your cell phone, too, you mm. know, which, which is tracking your every move. And not mine. I, 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 I cleansed that thing the moment I bought it. <laughs> you think you did? Um, <laughs> um, I have an AI expert. I have a, a IT expert as paranoid. My probably more paranoid than I am. Yeah, and I say fix that, and he okay. did it. And so, so I, you have, I, <laughs> you have I no have faith. You have no apps on on your phone. I have apps on my phone, but they do. Do, they do not have the ability to track me because I've turned <laughs> off all tracking. It, it does not exist. You know, it drives my wife crazy because every once in a while she she'll want to use my phone for figuring out maps. I said, "Yeah, you can't use my phone because <laughs> well, I'll use my phone. You use your phone. I don't care." Well, then they're going to know where you are. I said, "I can leave at any moment." You know, so um, it's one of these ridiculous conversations. Usually, right before I mention the compound, and right before she mentions that I'm an idiot. So, um, which is probably probably true. So that's what we're getting out of this conversation. We, we, we're, we're getting closer to that compound. And, um, <laughs> and it's probably the best that you're leaving education within a few weeks because you won't have to fight this fight. 
I won't have to fight the fight, but I will certainly be interested in how the fight is being waged. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, as far as how, you know, because I, I must tell you, and we've talked about this uh, also, we've, spoke, we've written about it at length in our very fine book, The Center Cannot Hold, a critical look at contemporary education uh, available through Ahart Education and exclusively through Amazon. Um, but, um, you know, part of the thing that is discussed has to do with, um, well, hell, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, you wrote the damn book with me. Well, yes. <laughs> but I just, what was the point I was making? Um, I have no idea. You're, you're saying you're worked up about it. How's that medicine kicking in? Uh, maybe it's a hangover from the medicine. I'm just, I'm not at full strength yet. Uh, but the notion about whether, um, you know, you know, we wrote about technology in that book, right? And you're and the, about to. Oh yes. So I mean, I think the thing is, is that you know, in the past thirty years, school districts have shown zero ability to withstand the the temptation of technology. Right. They have not. Uh, they've not exercised, at least not that I have seen on a large scale. They've not seemed to exercise any level of precaution or. Uh, just temperance, you know, as far as is using AI technology, implementing technology, integrating technology. And so it doesn't speak well to the possibility of education being able to handle the, you know, the pitfalls and the dangers of AI. They just, they don't have that track record. Right. They, they, they certainly didn't fight very hard against the, the cell phone in, in class. Um, what is the square root of 778? Within two seconds, the square root of 778 is approximately 27.91. So why are we teaching math when they can get that answer right there? Because knowing the answer does not mean knowing the answer. I think, you know, and this is the same thing with kids that try to, that try to cheat in, you know, the history class. You know, they try to read questions. They try to study and memorize questions. But... You know, as long as the essays in class are an additional kind of element to their grade, those folks will always be ferreted out because, you know, if you study questions, you may know the answer because you know, because you read that question somewhere before, but it doesn't mean you know the answer. And so for me, I think it's a, um, it's a kind of a gotcha. It may be a bit of an esoteric gotcha because maybe only the teachers care, but um, uh, I, I think that there is going to be the ability to kind of check that. The question is, will teachers at some point just stop caring? Yeah, that, that's a that's a good question because um, they're already worn out doing a lot of things. Um, imagine teachers grading work that was actually created by a machine, you know, and making comments on on that. I could see that happening, and it's it seems. Uh, futile, you know, to picture, picture something like that. Um, well, this is, this is just um, troubling here, Miller. That, that's all I, I can say. And I'm thinking about all levels of, of education, you know, and uh -huh. maybe more so at the, at the university level. Um, and I think that the, the solution is, is radical, and we've talked about it before, uh, the idea that wh why are we so focused upon grading anyway? If we take that out of education, you just get rid of it. 
and and then suddenly it's, it becomes about learning again. But we may need more drastic uh, decisions like that to combat these tools. I think the the the, the fight is made tougher by the fact that, and we've mentioned this before, parents are encouraging their kids to cheat when it's openly available. We talked about the, uh, I told you about the, the fact that our students were using some sort of uh, online uh, question bank. Mm-hmm. And there was questions that were finding their way on the tests. And we had, I've had parents admit in a meeting that, yeah, we told them to do that. I said, and I said, well, that's cheating. And now we have a bigger problem. Uh, You're endorsing it, you know? So, um, and so part of me, you know, because of the high stakes associated with grades, GPA, how that segues into college applications and college acceptance. But at some point, what does that even mean? You know, and, and don't colleges have a sense of that, that there is uh, something afoot that, could quite possibly make all of their admission standards laughable if they have not given over admission ad, uh, admission standards over to AI by that point anyway. Yeah, in the stats world, we would call that systemic bias and and an error. You know, statistically, because the assessment is is actually not valid if if it's if the student isn't doing it. But we have that across, you know, all levels suddenly. So we don't, I mean, we put so much effort. Have you ever, have you ever calculated GPAs for a whole school or a whole district? I mean, they get down to the hundredths uh, um, to decide who's valedictorian and who isn't. And it, But then the actual coursework that's graded is, is done in a, haphazard way and, and we don't and it includes the type of error that we're talking about other students cheating all kinds of things um, so so it, ma- it makes a measurement issue and i think that universities are, are probably in, in the process of putting less weight on class ranking and gpa and certainly sats uh, and maybe they may just need to do a good old-fashioned interview where they talk to the student it would certainly be less practical, but you might end up getting better students as a result. I mean, I guess it all depends on who you are interviewing, who's doing the interviewing, but I don't know. I, I Part of this seems almost too big for us um, in our abilities to tackle. I do know, talk about being able to learn from history, that we have faced seemingly insurmountable odds before, and we have been able to kind of persevere we've been able to overcome and so if i have any level of optimism it is a is an optimism that's based on the fact that over time we have shown the ability to do one of two things uh one to identify a problem and to fix that problem and so my my only hope is that it's not too late before we actually start down that path of trying to fix what's been created that's almost an optimistic closing to our program here miller i'm i'm almost inspired i mean i'm close to that um, i need it as much as the listener does (laughs) yeah yeah well i I hope that you have a a good moment today yes um we we all do and and i'm 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 for me i'm i'm going to a piano tuner um 
I'm going to take pick up my piano and carry it to their shop. Okay, uh, and uh, say tune this. No, we'll we'll have the gentleman over hopefully on Monday, so I stop screaming. Okay. Well, I certainly want you to stop screaming. You've probably stressed out the dog, and that's why the dog is out of control. So. Yeah. But. Well. Um, well, this this was fun here, Miller, and I I told you before the program that I wanted to surprise you with a with a program idea. That's why okay. I cold, cold called you and and. Honestly, I, I liked your your answer a lot better than the machines because you talked about um, creating interesting people. Yes, and um, that that is something that this machine is never going to look look for. Something that that subtle. They will never understand that. That's true. Yeah, so that's right. All right. So on that uh, cautiously optimistic note, um, <laughs> I shall bid adieu, uh, Herr Doctor Bourgeois. Auf Wiedersehen, Herr Miller.